Well, good morning, Calvary. It's good to see you on this uh, beginning of Thanksgiving week. I hope you have a lot to be thankful for this week. Uh, today's our, the third Sunday in the month, and so we're in the third part of our November series called Thriving Through Thanksgiving. Um, and we've been looking at, from the first week, we asked the question, what is the church? And we looked at the fact that we are a body and that each one of us is a part of that body and we can't do without each and every part of the body. Um, we also saw last week, what are we made for? And uh, Eli Garza led us in a great message that reminded us that we are made to worship God and to fellowship with his spirit with a constant connection that we can actually have just constant com connection and communion with the spirit of God. That's what we're made for. And today we're going to look at a similar question, but maybe from a different angle. And that's going to be, well, what is our purpose? If we're all part of a body and we're all made to know and worship God, then what is our purpose in this world? And I'm going to suggest to you that we each have a purpose in the mission of God on earth. So today we're going to look at the life-giving joy of being on mission with God. So when we think of mission, uh, I want you to stop and think about that word for a minute. Maybe you think of mission, the town, maybe you think of mission, the hospital. I don't know. Uh, when you think of mission, what do you think of? Stop and think about that for a moment. Maybe you'll start to see this image on the screen. Maybe this is what you think of. I think of Mission Impossible, right? And all the different movies that have been a part of that. There have been some fun, iconic scenes, such as the one where Tom Cruise is dangling from that cable. I think a local commercial has copied that one as well. Um, or my favorite one, one of my favorites, is this scene of Tom Cruise outside of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. At the time, it was the tallest tower in the world, the tallest building in the world. And I was actually in Dubai that day, which is a crazy story, because um, we were there for a prayer conference for missionaries working in that hard part of the world. And we saw this helicopter hovering right next to the Burj Khalifa. And we're like, What's the helicopter just sitting there doing? Well, that's what they were doing. They were filming Tom Cruise hanging out the window and who knows what else they were doing there. But, uh, but that's, that's a fun one for me. But when you think of mission, do you think of that? Or do you think of maybe like some kind of worthy goal to give part of your life to, you know, that you volunteer for? Maybe like such as rescuing turtles, you know, and you look at a picture of a, that little guy, who could say no to that, right? And that's, that's a great mission, right? Something that you could do just to kind of feel like you're doing something good in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but so many times it's disconnected from the rest of our lives, right? Or do you think of mission as the Great Commission? Maybe you're like, okay, I'm in church. I've got to give the Jesus answer. So when I think of mission, I think of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and so on. And, and so maybe you think about that. And all that is right. However, when you think of mission in the church, I'd like to maybe back up a little bit and see where we get this idea and what is it that God may be calling us to today. So I want to tell you about a, an author named Christopher Wright. Uh, he wrote two really important books on this subject. In 2006, he wrote something called The Mission of God. And he revealed that the typical Christian understanding was of missions is that it encompasses a very small part of the overall, the overarching mission of God in the world. In other words, he was saying in his research, he discovered a lot of Christians think of missions as a very narrow thing, kind of like that thing that professional missionaries go and do. But he argues that God is relentlessly reclaiming the whole world of creation for himself, that that is part of God's mission. 
not only to reach unreached people groups, but he's reclaiming creation. And so we all fit into that big picture plan in some way or another. Because if God is working to bring the whole of creation back to himself, then he needs more than just full-time missionaries and full-time pastors. He needs all of us to be involved in that. So in his next book, The Mission of God's People, Christopher Wright argues that, that in order to have a, 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 per, a right perspective of the Great Commission, that we actually need to have a strong biblical theology that shapes our thinking and our behavior, our behavior in day-to-day life. And then we can understand how we might answer the call of the Great Commission. So for example, when we read the Great Commission, the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, when he says, go and make disciples, we think of go as something a missionary does, right? He's going to go or she's going to go to reach an unreached person with the gospel. And that's part of it. But the better translation of that Greek word go says that as you are going. So catch that. Jesus tells his disciples, as you are going, you have a mission. So in other words, it's more about your everyday life, not just a special time when you set aside to go and do a mission project. The Great Commission says, as you are going, make disciples. So we're going to see what that looks like for us. So let's back up from that a little bit. Prior to the Great Commission, the Lord gives us the Great Commandment. And so we're going to read that passage this morning where we get that in Scripture and unpack that a little bit. So I'd like to invite you to stand in uh, reverence to God's Word. I'd like for us to read this passage. And we stand just as a reminder that here we're reading the words of God. And we want to show our respect for that. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. This is a contemporary English version. And the word of the Lord says, An expert in the law of Moses stood up and asked Jesus a question to see what he would say. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the scriptures? How do you understand them? The man replied, The scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They also say, love your neighbors as much as you love yourself. Jesus said, you have given the right answer. If you do this, you will have eternal life. But the man wanted to show that he knew what he was talking about. So he asked Jesus, who are my neighbors? Jesus replied, as a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, robbers attacked him and grabbed everything he had. They beat him up and ran off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, but when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. Later, a temple helper came to the same place, but when he saw the man who had been beating up, beaten up, he also went by on the other side. A man from Samaria then came, traveling along that road. When he saw the man, he felt sorry for him and went over to him. He treated his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next morning, he gave the innkeeper two silver coins and said, please take care of the man. If you spend more than this on him, I will pay you when I return. Then Jesus asked, which one of these three people was a real neighbor to the man who was beaten up by robbers? The expert in the law of Moses answered, the one who showed pity. Jesus said, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's a very familiar passage in Luke 10. If, if you've been in church at all for a while, you might remember this, the story. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And, we, and as Jesus is telling the story you saw in the context here, he is giving it in response to this question that this expert of the law is asking him. 
And there's several things here that I'd like to just summarize, and then we're going to focus most of our time on the last point. The first thing we see here is that there's several layers of conflict in this story. We have the expert in the law who's actually coming to test Jesus. Um, the, the religious leaders of that first century time in Israel and in, in, in Jerusalem, they were very concerned about the message of Jesus, about the way he was going about doing things. It did not fit their model of what they thought the Messiah should be like. So there's a conflict there. He's testing Jesus with this question, trying to make him stumble or look bad in some way. Then we also see in the story itself, the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans were, were basically half cousins, basically. And they, they had similar lines of, of heritage, but then they split off at some point, but they live in the same region there in Israel. And they, were, they did not like each other at all. They were enemies. They would avoid each other at all costs. And it tells us here that on that road between Jerusalem and Jericho, which was a very dangerous road, it was uh, prone to a lot of thieves and robbers being there, that, that as this man gets beaten up, the Jews are coming by. And even though it's a Jewish man, from what we understand in the scripture, they ignore him. And yet it's, it's the vile Samaritan, right, who they would have considered at the same level as a dog, and it's that person who's the hero of the story. So Jesus is calling out here this, this hate between Jews and Samaritans and saying, look, you, you need to quit looking at them as the other guys and start looking at them as individual people as well. And then we see a third conflict between the blindness of those who kept the law, right? This was an expert in the law of God, but yet he's blinded by the ones, by, by, the, by the need of the road. Because it tells us that a priest walks by and a priest is an expert in the law of God and he ignores the man. And then a Levite who was a temple helper also walks by and he ignores the guy. So, so the people that should have been the most responsive are blind and yet the one who they think should have ignored the guy because of that Jewish Samaritan conflict, he's the one that has perceptive kindness. Right? He's the one that sees the need and says, I need to do something about this. I need to respond. So we're going to look at what is it that that, that man has in his heart that causes him to respond that way. And this is where we get the great commandment, right? We talk about the great commission. We talk about the great commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is the answer that he affirms. There's two parts to it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's amazing that if we are to focus on that, how many of the other commandments of the Bible fall into that, right? If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to want to do the things that God calls us to do. And the, the second part of that is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that's equally as powerful that if we, if we, were become, if we would become more aware of the people around us, then perhaps we could actually fulfill most of the law of God by just focusing on those two things. Verse 27 is where we get that great commandment. And so this is remarkably simple, right? It's remarkably, it almost feels too simple. And so much so that the expert in the law says, wait a minute, well, then let's figure out, well, when you're talking about neighbor, who's my neighbor? He wants to get into this discussion with Jesus because to him, it's too simple. However, it's completely thorough and it's entire, it takes entirely our lives, our lifelong time to master. So these are some things that we're seeing here in the story. But the part I'd like to focus on is the last phrase that Jesus gives here where he says, go and do likewise, go and do the same. Because I want to propose to us this morning that this is the way to fullness of joy in life. This is the way to, to fullness of joy and satisfaction in life. Why do I say that? Well, because remember the original question? 
His original question in verse 25 is, is, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? Now, that question to us might sound like a very religious, churchy question, right? Like, how do I be saved? How do I go to heaven? It's kind of what it sounds like, I think, to us. But in that time frame, the question was more about both here and now and the future. It wasn't just about, about saying, Jesus, what happens when I die and how do I spend eternity with God? The question is really asking, how do I have fullness of life? And that fullness of life means a full, meaningful, purposeful life now that carries on to eternal life. It's interesting because in Luke uh, 18, we see the same thing. The rich young ruler asks the same question. He says, how do I have fullness of life? So I want you to follow that with me, that it's not just talking about heaven. It's talking about how do I have the best life here on earth? And that's the question Jesus is helping them to answer. But let's note a few things. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's note here that Jesus highlights the Samaritan as the hero of the story. And yet the Samaritan is an ordinary man. Did you notice? Out of the three that are walking by along that road, out of the three that see the man in desperate need, two of them are religious and one is not. One is an ordinary man. Some people think he was probably just a businessman traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. He probably traveled with protection because again, it was a dangerous road. And yet he was a businessman who was just carrying on his normal ordinary affairs. And yet he's the one that sees the needs and responds. And I think what we catch here is very important. What's the connection between the great commandment and the great commission? Why does he respond to the need when the others don't? And I think what we see here is that the natural result, all right, follow this. The natural result of loving God and loving neighbors is a missional lifestyle. Right, the natural result of loving God and being aware of people is that we'll be responsive when the opportunity arises to be on mission with God, to do the things that he calls us to do. The Samaritan, not the religious guys, all right? The Samaritan was prepared in his heart to respond, to be on mission with God when the opportunity arose. And, and this shouldn't surprise us because the disciples, even though today we think of the disciples 2,000 years later as these, you know, these, these saints and these images, these holy men, the disciples, the Bible tells us in, in Acts, were unschooled, ordinary men. In other words, they weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the religious, academic, top-notch people. They were unschooled, ordinary men. And these are the same ones that Jesus commissions to go and do his work in the world. So are you catching the theme here? The theme here is that the good Samaritan is an ordinary person who's responsive to the heart of God. And that's what he calls us to be and to do. Be ordinary people who are responsive to the heart of God. And, and the result of that is going to be joy. It, earlier in Luke 10, if you were to go back and read the beginning of the chapter, you'll see that Jesus had just sent his disciples out two by two to different villages on their first mission assignment, their first task. And they come back full of joy. They come back saying, wow, this is amazing. This is awesome. They wanted more of it. So that's what we're trying to make the connection this morning is how, how can we live a life on mission with God that results in life-giving joy? Well, just like the priest and the Levite, the two first guys in the story, we can get easily distracted from our mission with God. We might have alternative purposes in life that blind us to God's missional purpose. And some of those might be good things, right? If I were to say, hey, fill in the blank. I live for the, what would you say? Maybe some people say the weekend, right? Or I live for my kids, or, or I live for the cowboys, that's right. 
Uh, I live for 49ers. I know there's a few of those in here somewhere too. You know, what do you live for, right? Uh, you know, we, we have these things that excite us. We have these things that bring us joy, even if temporary. What do you live for? And, and the question could be, that, that's not a bad thing, right? But, but is that distracting you from the missional purpose of God? Or are you finding a way to line up what you live for, to be on mission with God's purposes as well? There's an old song. I don't know if it was in the 80s, but it, it used to be called, it's a funny song, but please don't send me to Africa. And it's this song of like God calls us and invites us to missions. And this guy's like, I'm ready to go, Jesus. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just please don't send me to Africa. And he starts to describe all the lions and, and bears. And uh, there, there, aren't lion, there aren't bears in Africa. I think there's lions, right? But, but he describes all the, all, the, all the hard things that he's going to encounter, right? This is a very Western American point of view. Because actually, I love going to Africa, right? My brothers and sisters from Africa, it's a great place to be. And yet this song, this song you know, it captures a sense of misunderstanding that if you say yes to the will of God, he's going to ask you to do hard, difficult things that you don't want to do. And that song tried to capture that misunderstanding that I think as Christians we often have is, well, if I say yes to the mission of God, that might put me in a very uncomfortable situation. Maybe so, but the point is God is leading us to a life of ultimate joy. Yet our tendency is to think that the mission of God does not equal joy. So, but this story is trying to highlight something different along with the story of the rich young ruler. How do I get eternal life? How do I live a joy-filled, meaningful life? And Jesus says, join me on mission. Join me, come and do likewise. Come and do what I'm inviting you to do. Because mission is not just keeping a set of rules, right? God is not interested in rule keepers only. He wants glad participants in his mission. He's inviting us, after all, into the greatest story of all. He's inviting us into his story. And I know this is a funny play on words, but if you see that picture on the screen, history, if you add an extra S, right, you could divide that word into his story. And, and the cool thing is, is I believe this is true, that God is inviting us as ordinary Christians to be part of history. How do we write and shape history? We do it by being on mission with God in small ways that end up painting a big story. Some of you may have heard of Perspectives. I don't know if you have. Perspectives is this class that teaches how to live on mission and that we can actually be part of God's story. We can, we can live our lives into his story and how the mission of God is shaping history and we can be a part of that. It's a great class. It's a challenging class. Uh, we, we had a, an, an older gentleman here who's Lee Saunders, who's the chairman of the deacons this year. He's in his upper 70s and he thought, okay, I, I want to respond to missions. I'm going to take that class. And then he realized, wow, this is a very heavy class. It's, it's like a college class, three hours a week for 15 weeks with homework. <laughs> and so, and, and he's, but, he's, but what I love is that, first of all, he was willing to take that class, right? As a retired man in his 70s, he's willing to ask the question, God, what can I do in this stage of my life to be part of your mission? I want to understand your mission in the world and how I can be a part of it. And the cool thing is, as the class is about to, to finish here in the next couple of weeks, he's already designed his plan of what he's going to do to respond to the things that God has called him to do. So I believe that at every stage in our lives, God gives us opportunities to be part of his mission. We just need to be ready to ask the question and to follow his lead. But it starts with loving God and being aware of our neighbors. 
You have to have a heart that loves God and that's sensitive to people if we're going to be on mission with God. And then God gives us tasks or assignments that will fit different stages of our lives. So I believe that as we love God and grow in our ability to do so, and as we love our neighbors and grow in our awareness of people around us, God will enlist us in his mission with special tasks or special situations that are designed for you. And I hope you'll believe that today. I hope you believe that you're important, that you're unique, and that God has designed special opportunities for you to fulfill that nobody else can. Just like each one of us is a part of the body and you have a unique role, so you also have a unique role in God's mission. Uh, and when you do that, I completely believe that as you find your place in his story, you're going to find your purpose and you're going to find great joy in life to a level that you may not have experienced before. I mentioned Christopher Wright earlier in his book, The Mission of God. He writes this. He says, it's not that God has a mission for his church. It's that God has a church for his mission. I want to sit on that for a second and read it one more time. It's not that God has a mission for his church. It's not like Jesus formed the church and then said, hmm, let's see, what tasks can we give the church to do? Well, I want them to meet on Sundays. I want them to have Bible studies. Oh, I want them to have mission stuff that they can do in the world. It's not that God created a church to give us tasks. It's that God created a church because he has a mission. He wants to make himself known. He wants to show his love and his generosity and his kindness to the world. And therefore, he's called a church to do that. He's called us so that we can be his hands and feet, be like that good Samaritan showing his kindness and his generosity and his love to the world. So when you think of yourself as being part of the church, whether it's this one or another church, we're not called just to gather to gather, right? Just to, just to do that. We're called because God has a mission for us and all of us are called to that. My first experience of living on mission goes all the way back to high school, right? I didn't have ideas of being in ministry at the time. I wanted to be in law enforcement. That's just kind of the thing I loved. I watched shows about FBI and DEA and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to be in law enforcement. But, but as I was a junior in high school, God began to call my heart and my attention to his word. I really began to read God's word and began to speak to me. And an older brother was kind of discipling me and challenging me to put into action whatever God was putting on my heart. Well, I don't remember how it happened exactly, but at some point I felt like our school, our high school needs a Bible study. Like there was not a Christian Bible study on our campus. So uh, I thought, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do to start it. And with a little help from a, from a youth leader, he showed me how to do, how to do things. I, I made contact with, a, with someone in the school administration. Eventually, anyway, we started a Bible study. And, and I was 16 years old, and I just thought, I don't know what I'm doing, right? But I just felt this sense that God was saying, I want you to be on mission with me and start this Bible study. And just to show you how, how kind of funny or silly my thought, my mind was, uh, we named the Bible study SWAT, SWAT. Because, you know, I like, I like, you know, SWAT team stuff. But it actually stood for something. It stood for students with a testimony. So if you want to use that at, you know, UTRGV, you can. I'm just kidding. <laughs> students with a testimony. And the idea was to gather Christian students together to be encouraged by Bible study and help us to live for God on our campuses. And it was so funny, that first meeting we had, I expected maybe three or four friends to show up and we had like 50. And some of them I'm looking around like, oh, why are you here? <laughs> you know, but, you know, my own kind of judgmental, like, hey, you're, you're partying all the time. Why are you here? But that was cool, right? It was people who were like coming to find out what's this Bible study thing about 
and they wanted to know more about God. So I share that story with you just to tell you, we can be on mission in everyday life, right? You don't have to be a minister or a missionary to be on mission with God. You just gotta be willing to do things that might stretch you a little bit, put you out of your comfort zone, but to say, this is something that needs to be done. Um, another story that I think of about this, about someone using just their natural gifts and talents. About 20 years ago, I was a missions pastor here, and we had a lot of need of people coming that had physical needs, like for rent assistance or utility or food. And at the time, we didn't have bread of life. We didn't have a food ministry. So we were, as the pastors on staff, we were swamped just trying to figure out how to help people and how to do it the right way and the best way. And, and then one Sunday, as we're talking about being on mission, uh, Elizabeth Samora, many of you know Elizabeth, she comes up to me and she says, hey, David, I want to volunteer in the church. I'm like, okay, well, what, what, what do you know? How do you know? What do you, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm a social worker, but I just had our first baby and I want to stay home. That's why I'm going to not be a social worker anymore. And I was like, oh, well, can you help us with people who are coming to Calvary seeking benevolence? Because I think you'd be perfect because your social work knowledge will actually be able to help them uh, find what they need. And so for, she started volunteering, and now for the last 17 years, Elizabeth has been on our staff part-time uh, as our social worker slash community ministries director. She took something that she knew how to do and decided, how can I use this to serve God? And she can help connect people with resources far beyond Calvary because she knows what's out there in the community. Uh, and so I really appreciate when people find some way to serve God, to be on mission with God by using their gifts. But here's the point I want to make more than that is there's a lot more work to do outside the church than inside the church, right? So I'm not inviting you all to join our church in terms of, of, of staff or ministry at Calvary. I'm saying where in the world, because there's a whole world out there that God wants to reach, where in the world are you on mission? We have this great podcast that Ronald does as our new missions director, Ronald Sanchez. And he's been interviewing missionaries and people that we know in the field around the world. But he also did a, a recent, the most recent CBC Missions podcast has uh, Matthew Vaughn and Andrew, a couple of young adults. And they're just talking about how they're on mission on the campus in everyday life at UTRGV. And that's the question, right? How can we all be on mission with God in our ordinary lives? How can each one of us go and do likewise, like Jesus said to this man. I'd like to suggest three things and then we'll close. Three ways in which we can go and do the same, which is what Jesus said for, for this man to do in Luke 10. First is to do good work. How can we be on mission with God? How can we go and do likewise? By doing good work. Now notice I'm saying work singular, not works. Right? I'm not talking about good Christian works, right? I'm talking about doing good work. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? Uh, I remember this really hit home for me one day. My, my son was four years old and he was in the back seat and uh, he got buckled up and, you know, just like kids kind of naturally do. And we're driving in somewhere and, and, and I get frustrated because of some road incident. I don't know. I didn't quite go road rage style, but I was upset about something. And my son says, dad, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. <laughs> Calvary was doing a good job of teaching our kids Bible verses. So even driving, like driving, I'm supposed to do that for the glory of God? Well, according to my four-year-old, yes, all right? Um, I don't know where you want to apply that, but, but the point is we are called to do everything for the glory of God. Martin Luther, all right, 500 years ago, said this. He said, the Christian shoemaker's duty is not to put small crosses on the shoes, which I guess you could if you wanted to, 
But he said, the Christian shoemaker's duty is to make good shoes. What was he saying? He was saying that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we better be the best workers. We better be excellent at our jobs. We better be excellent at representing Jesus in the marketplace. Be the best at what you do. Be the best teacher. Be the best uh, health professional. Be the best lawyer. Be the best at what you do. Because that is for the glory of God, if you do it unto him. Colossians 3.23 says that whatever you do, your work with all your heart, do it with all your heart as working unto the Lord, not for human masters. When is the last time you went to work and you clocked in or you showed up and you said, Jesus, I'm here to work for you. That's what he's telling us, right? I mean, yeah, you have a boss. We all, we all have earthly bosses, right? But, but when's the last time you went to work and you said, Lord, I am here to work for you. How might that shift our perspective of the work that we do? As we do that, I believe we join God's mission because now you're, you're there as his representative. You're there to make a difference for him. So please hear that. We're called to be the best workers and to do excellent work. So I want to, I want to say to you that if you've been doing good and excellent work in business or healthcare or education or whatever you do, and maybe you beat yourself up sometimes for not doing more at church, please stop that, right? Please stop that. We're not calling you to do more at church, right? The, the first duty you're called to is to be excellent serving Christ at work. Now, I, I don't want I, I to condone uh, workaholism, right? I'm not saying that's a good thing, right? But view your work as your primary place of ministry. Don't beat yourself up for wishing you could do more at church. When you have a mission field in your own place of work or education or wherever you spend 40 or 50 hours a week, you can be on mission, and we're going to explore that more in our series that will be in January about how your work is part of God's mission. All right, so doing good work is the first way we can go and do likewise. The second way is being good neighbors. Now, obviously, that comes straight from this story, right? The Samaritan was a good neighbor. And like the Samaritan, we will have unusual opportunities for mercy. All right, you, you may not know when it's coming. It's going to be least expected. But you're going to have unusual opportunities to show mercy. And a heart that is sensitive to God, a heart that is sensitive to others, will seize those moments. But a cold, religious heart will miss them. Remember, the two guys who missed the opportunity, they were the churchgoers. They were the religious guys. They knew God's word. They're the ones who missed the opportunity because their heart was cold. If your heart is sensitive to God and to others, you will be a good neighbor. I'd like to show you this quick video of a new series we're starting, highlighting stories from, from you, people here at Calvary, who are on mission. I want you to hear how Juan and Rosie Garcia are on mission as good neighbors. Check it out. Hello, uh, my name is Rosie Garcia, and this is my husband. Juan Garcia. I am a provider. And I work at uh, South Texas College as a tutor. And uh, for the past uh, year, we have been working with international students through the BSM and Calvary Baptist Church. We are on a mission. I want to share a story with you guys. Um, about a few months ago, one of the students called me and she said, I have surgery tomorrow. Would you take me? And I said, of course. So I went to pick her up. We went to the hospital. I was there during the process of her getting ready for surgery. I was there during the process of her being scared of having this surgery because she didn't know she was going through complete anesthesia and she thought it was just local. She was scared. I was there with her. 
Then the doctor comes and tells me, okay, after her surgery, you have to take her to another clinic to get another uh, process going. And you have to get there before four this afternoon. The doctor will be waiting for you until four. Short story long, or long story short, <laughs> they released her from the surgery at 3.45. I had to drive her through traffic to get there before four. We got there, we go to the second floor because they told us the appointment is in the second floor. And they, they said, no, 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 it's in the first floor. Now she was completely sedated, she was falling. She was, she, all she wanted to do is be asleep at home. I had to ask for a wheelchair. I took her to the first floor. She got her treatment. And during the time that she was getting her treatment, her parents called on FaceTime. And they wanted just to thank me because I was there for her. And they were very appreciative of being there for their daughter because they're so far away. So you see, it's the little things that you just have to be available and be on mission to know where the Lord needs you and to do it. We are Juan and Rosy Garcia, and we are on mission. Yeah. They're just a couple of modern day Samaritans, right? Just using the things that they know, being willing to serve people. They heard the call a couple of years ago when we were asking people to, to volunteer with international student ministry. And they just volunteered. They, they, they weren't experts in this, right, necessarily. They just started saying, how can I be available? And uh, they drive uh, to UTRGV on, on the weekends and pick up students to bring them to church. And there's a lot of different ways in which they serve international students, even students from places around the world where, where Christianity is not as well known, where the gospel is not as well known. So what a great opportunity they've seized on just being good neighbors and being willing to help people. So if we're going to be on mission with God, if we're going to go and do likewise, we need to do good work, right? Represent Christ excellently wherever we are. We need to be good neighbors. And the last thing is we need to be willing and ready to share good news. Because ultimately that's, that's the ultimate hope, right? We want people to understand the good news of the gospel. Hopefully as we live this way, people will eventually be curious and ask the question, what makes you different? And the question I guess for you this morning is, are you ready to share good news? Um, last week, in our, we had a, a, a Grow Group Leaders Rally. We put our leaders together to, to go over a few things for our grow groups and, and what we want to see happen in our grow groups. And one of the things that they did is, is uh, we practiced listing our Oikos map. I want to show you an example of that on the screen. What's an Oikos map? Well, Oikos is a Greek New Testament word for your immediate community, right? Your, your close friends and family, co-workers, associates. So the question is, you know, you can start being on mission simply by identifying who is around you that is close to you, but far from God. Who's around you that needs God? Who's around you that's maybe like that wounded robber or, or just someone who's far from the Lord? And as you put that, you, you start making circles around you. You start listing, who are those people? Who's a coworker that, that maybe God has put on my heart to bless some way? Who's a neighbor? Who's a family member? I have my brother, my younger brother that I'm constantly praying for every week. Who's your barista? That's on the list. So see, even going to coffee shops can be part of living on mission, right? If, who is regularly around you that is close to you, but far from God. And if you want to live on mission, be ready to share the good news. First of all, you just got to identify who are the people that need the good news of the gospel. And a second thing that we, a second tool that we practice with our grow group leaders was something called the one minute story. And that's when you get the opportunity, what are you going to say? 
right? Now, the one-minute story isn't the whole plan of salvation. It's not the whole gospel, right? But it's that, it's that elevator pitch, right? That little elevator pitch that you need to have to share with people that if there is an open opportunity, what are you going to say to then help extend the conversation later on? And so the two-minute story is very simple. You start with two words, two words that describe your life before you knew Jesus, right? And then talk about how you met Jesus, who, you know, what were the circumstances that brought you to Jesus, and then two words that describe how your life has changed after knowing Jesus. And now we're, continue, we're continually growing as, as Christians, so, so it's not like you've arrived, right? But two words that talk about how you've seen God change your life. That's the one-minute story, and that's easy to share, easy to, to, to practice. And the question is, are you ready, right? Are you ready to share good news when the opportunity comes up? If you do that, you will, be, you will be ready to be on mission with God. God is on mission, and each one of you, each one of us, has an invitation to be a part of it. Uh, Ronald, our missions director, and I, we want to encourage you in any way we can. We want to even say, hey, if you'd like for us to come to your, to your workplace or to your community space how to, and brainstorm with you how, to, how we can encourage you to devise ways to be intentionally on mission, we're, we're ready to do that. We're wanting to help you. Maybe you want to start a, a seeker Bible study in your workplace or in your community. Maybe you want to learn how to share the one-minute story. There's so many things we could help you do, so many tools that we have, but you got to be willing to say, hey, I want to get ready to be on mission with God and be ready every day. But what you can already start doing, right, even before that, is to live and work excellently, doing it all for the glory of God. I'd like to conclude by, by, by reminding us of this. We have five G's to our strategy at Calvary. At Calvary, our vision, our mission is to make disciple makers for the glory of God among the nations. Well, how do we want to do that? Five steps to that. First is the gospel. Right? We need to know the gospel. We have to be transformed. We have to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Maybe this is where you need to start today. If you've never, if you, if you get excited about maybe finding a life purpose, being on mission with God, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that's the place you start today. But the second thing we highlight is the great commandment, right? Love God, love others. Are you doing that? Are you developing that practice, that habit in your life? And then we do these three things. We gather for worship. We grow in small group community, and we go on mission. Uh, we're, as Christians, we're quick to gather and maybe grow, but we're not quite sure how to go. And what I want to encourage you today is that just like the Good Samaritan, just like an ordinary man, ordinary women, we're encouraged to go on mission every day of our lives. God has a purpose for us, and if we join him in that, you will find a missional purpose and you will find your joy. So I'd like to invite you to stand now as we take a moment to respond to God's word. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. And I want to ask you, have you, have you found your current purpose within the mission of God? If you're, if you're wondering what that is, spend a few moments with the Lord right now and ask him to show you that. Ask him to show you the people that are around you and to give you opportunities to prepare your heart and prepare you practically to respond in ways that will bless people and that will open the door for the good news. Maybe you're struggling with just knowing your purpose in life. And maybe Jesus is saying to you, you can find your purpose by following me. Come and do likewise. And you will find not only purpose, but fullness of joy. So let's pray. Father, I pray that 
as we reflect on your words from this morning. I pray that as we reflect on that story, Jesus, that you taught us and that you invite us to be on mission with you. Help us to see our day-to-day life as an exciting avenue that you want to work in and through that would result in the good of others, that would result in your glory, and that will result in our own personal growth as well. So Lord, thank you for your invitation to us. Thank you that you make our lives meaningful. I pray that you would show us now how to respond. In Jesus' name.